Well, good morning. Whew, you did make it. I'm just glad you're here. <laughs> Obviously, you're not very glad you're here. Um, I'm glad you're here. Okay, good. That's a little bit better. Um, just a couple of things right quick. Um, one announcement very quickly before we move any further. I've had a lot of people asking about the upcoming trip to Nepal. Um, we will be having another meeting this afternoon at four o'clock in the atrium right out here with all the windows. Um, so be here at four o'clock for that this afternoon. Um, it'll last anywhere from five to six to nine, you know, whenever we get finished. Um, I'm just kidding. It'll be four to six. Okay. We'll get you out of here. I promise. All right. Um, Hey, how much, how many of you enjoyed the snow yesterday? How many of you hate snow? Yeah, I hated it last night because I didn't sleep last night because I was afraid it was going to be me and the staff here this morning. But look, it's not. But I do have one snow story. Um, I'm waiting on Chelsea to look at me, but she won't. Um, you, 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 many of you have seen our little four-year-old who is just, um, well, our little angel. <laughs> I was watching her yesterday, and you know you can tell when a four-year-old is processing something. And there's a little lane over on the side of our house that drops straight off down a hill. And I could tell that Deacon in her little mind was going, okay, I've got a sled right here. If I get this thing lined up, I can make it exactly where I'm trying to get. And so I was sitting there going, surely she's not going to do that by herself. We're all up by the road and I'm turning around watching her and I can see the wheels turning. And all of a sudden she drags that sled over there and she hops on it and She's gone. And I went, oh no, because there's big cedar trees on this side. There's big cedar trees on that side. Now that this did not end well. So I take off running and I look down the hill and she's arrived safely at the bottom and just stands up and she's just as happy as she can be. So I'm down there playing with Deacon just a few minutes later. And all of a sudden I hear, oh, 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 and I turn and look. And in one of those cedar trees, there is snow falling off the limbs. And I'm going, what in the world is happening? All of a sudden, here comes my gracious bride out from under the trees who had just tried to do the very same thing our four-year-old did. And she didn't do it near as successfully and gracefully as the four-year-old. So she stands up, she's got mud all down her side. And I said, Chelsea, you realize our four-year-old just did that without any problem at all. And, but it was very, very comical in and of itself. So um, yeah, there's never a dull moment around the whole house especially about our kids. And what's funny is a lot of times now when I come into church, it was back during deer season, everybody told me where they saw deer. Um, anyway, deer season's over. Nobody tells me that anymore. But now everybody comes in on Sunday mornings. You got any Cooperisms today? Because if you've been here for any amount of time, Cooper is one of my twins. And usually once a week, he gives some big profound statement um, that most everybody just gets a kick out of. Um, so uh, Thursday, actually Cooper had an orthodontist appointment. And so I went and checked him out of school to take him to his orthodontist appointment. And then, of course, we finished. I said, Cooper, do you want me to take you back to school? He goes, nope. Okay. You want to go eat lunch? Yep. So me and Cooper go to eat lunch, and we come back here, and we had to move some stuff around at the church. And Thursday is my own call day where I go do hospital visits and funeral homes, funerals, anything of that nature. And so after lunch, Cooper decided he wanted to go with me to the hospital. So we went and made a, visit, made a visit at the hospital. We left there and went to one funeral home. We left there, went to another funeral home and we get back in the truck and Cooper goes, Daddy, just all you do all day is go to, he said, all you do is go to hospital and funeral homes. That's kind of depressing. I said, well, buddy, no, there's more to it than that. But then on the positive note, he did say, he said, Daddy, is there anybody else we can go see at the hospital? And I said, nobody he goes, I said, did you, have, did you like that? And he goes, 
I like that. That was fun. So, yeah. So who knows? Who knows what God has in store for Cooper? Um, but that'll be our Cooperism for the week. Um, so everybody can get their laugh off of Cooper. Um, but I don't know about you, but I have been so excited about what we began last week, jumping into the soap journals. And, and some of you may be your first time here or you weren't here last week and you kind of missed it. Um, but our, our entire church family is walking through first and second Peter over the next two months together. Okay, out front and on the information desk, there is a soap journal that you can go by and get. Um, and, and it tells you in there how to use it, what it's for. Um, and look, I know a lot of times you get intimidated by, man, I can't, I'm, I'm a slow reader. That's a bunch of reading. It's anywhere from three to five verses a day. That's it. But what's encouraging to me is I, I received a text message on Tuesday, I believe it was, which is the study day. That's where I kind of locked myself up and study. And I was on the way to work, dropped the kids off from school. And, and, and one of our, our church family members texted and said, man, I was reading in First Peter this morning and it was so encouraging because as I was reading, God reminded me that my entire church family is reading the very same thing I'm reading today. And man, I don't know about you, but there is power when we as a family are united in God's word together and not to mention united in God's word together in the same place. And so as I was coming to work that morning, what was even more encouraging to me is that I realized and God revealed it to me that you know what, not only is the church family reading in first Peter, but they're gonna be reading what you're studying today. And you wanna see God change things is when we can begin to pray through the scriptures together, when we can continue to grow in the scriptures together. And you heard Jared talk last week of how, how it's, a, it's a slow walk as we're walking through the scriptures. But I don't know about you, but I get this, just, this visual image of our church family locking arms together. Not only are we walking with the Lord through First and Second Peter, but we as a church family are locking arms and walking through first and second Peter together. Can I tell you that there's power in being in God's word together? You know, and if, it, if we wanna be real honest, what's so exciting, BB brought this to my attention this week. He said, you realize that if, if our entire church is reading in the scriptures, they're gonna show up differently on Sunday mornings. They're gonna show up expecting because they've been in God's word all week. So many times that this is, a, this is our fuel for the week. This is your reading for the week as you follow along with what we're reading, but that's honestly the last time you may pick it up. And so truthfully, I think if we could really think our, put our minds around it, our response times every Sunday morning should look different because you've prepared to be here. You've been in God's word all week long. And this is a celebration of what God has been teaching you all week long. That is what we're here for today is to celebrate that with our church family. And I know some of you, you probably think, man, when we rolled out the soap journals, golly, that's just something else to add to my list. That's just something, now I have homework at church. Are you kidding me? But, you, the, but the reason behind that is not just to give you something else to do. The reason behind that is because I trust God's word enough. Our staff trust God's word enough that we know that the more we know about God, the more we love God. Jared mentioned last week that the purpose for reading God's word is to know him. It's that simple. And the more we know him, the more we will love him. Because what we read about is number, first thing we read about is God's mind. 
we get kind of an idea of the way God thinks. So when we see God's mind, we should want to learn it. We should want to learn what he knows. When we read about God's heart, we learn to love God's word because we learn to love God. When we see God's will, we should be prone to live it out, to live God's will. So my prayer for all of us is that when we look into first and second Peter over the next two months is it's not just a, a checklist of something to do, but we learn it, we love it, and we live it. I don't have the power to change you, but I'm trusting that the word of God does. And so I encourage you, look, it's not too late to start. We've just finished chapter one. We start chapter two tomorrow morning. And look, it's five days a week. You even get two days off. Don't that sound sad? You get two days off from reading God's word. We're only gonna do it five days. But I encourage you to pick one up on the way out and, and jump back in with us in chapter two tomorrow. Um, but before we really dive into the scripture from today, we felt it was very... Um, appropriate that we kind of set the foundation so that you will know what is going on in first and second Peter. So the first thing I want us to do is to mention the writer of first and second Peter. You ready for all you scholars? Who do you think it was? Y'all are smart. Yes. Good job. It is Peter. Good. But I want us to look at Peter. If you know anything about Peter, you know, but before he met Christ, his name was Simon. And then he had an encounter with his savior and Jesus gave him the name Peter, which we know stands for the rock. And Jesus says, this is Peter, the rock on whom I will build my church. So we see the transformation that has taken place in the writer's life. But what I love about Peter is he's just like you and I. He's about as normal as normal gets. He was a blue collar guy. He was a fisherman who wasn't well-trained, who wasn't very well-spoken. But what we learn about Peter is that he was very much like you and I. There was no training. There was no education. He didn't have all of the religious leaders pouring into him. Acts 4 verse 13, it even reflect, references that, that Peter and John, it says that they were ignorant, that they were unlearned that they were not smart men. And what that translated into is these were just laymen without a lot of training or with no training, matter of fact. But Acts 4.13 tells us that they were unlearned and that they were ignorant, but that unlearned and ignorant man is who God chose to build his church on. And I don't know about you, but there's hope in that. There's excitement in that that God wanted to use Peter. So therefore I know that God can use me. I know that God can use you. And there's excitement behind all of that. But what, what I love most about Peter is what they say at the end of Acts four, verse 13. They just said that he was ignorant, that he was unlearned, that he was untrained, that no religious leaders had poured into him, but then it followed it up at the end of the verse and it said, but it was obvious that he had walked with Jesus. Ooh. And I want to tell you from this point forward, don't you ever underestimate the power of walking with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I would much rather walk along somebody who had been trained and walked with the Savior than somebody who had graduated with certain degrees. There's power in the spirit of God. There is power in walking with Jesus. And that is why we want you to take this walk with us. There's power in this. There's power in his word. So don't ever underestimate the power of walking with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we look a little bit about Peter, I want us to look very quickly at who he's writing this to. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to believers who are suffering. He's writing to believers who are struggling. He's writing to believers who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of this letter is to encourage them, to lift them up, to show them their hope, to give them strength. And so he's doing it to uplift them, to pour into them. But what I love about it is if you look at 1 Peter chapter one, and we're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but it says that the Peter apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens. The reason he calls them aliens, some of your Bibles may say foreigners, but the reason he does that is because their persecution had ran them out of their hometowns. They weren't in their hometown. They had been ran out and now where they're at, they're being persecuted for that. They're being persecuted for their faith. And what's interesting is if you look at every place that they went to, every place that they ran to, they were all being persecuted differently. All of their struggles, all of the tribulations that they were walking through, it was all different, dependent upon the location of where they had gone to. And I think how we can relate to that this morning as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ today, is that we all have our different struggles. We all have our different trials. We all have our different temptations. And we all have our different battles that we're fighting, maybe even right now in this moment. And so while our struggles, our battles, our temptations are all over the place, the one thing that we all have in common is exactly what Peter is wanting them to know, that they have a living hope and a savior. No matter what you're walking through right now, no matter what trial, no matter what fire you're in right now, but Jesus Christ is our hope. That's where our hope is found. And it's always amazing that on Tuesday, how, how God works in, in me a lot of times of, I don't know if you call it writer's block or if you call it just brain dead like I oftentimes am. Um, I sit and I stare at something for so long and it's like all of a sudden things are just cut off. And so I'll pray and I'll ask God to speak and it'll just kind of just be a rat race. And so the other day I had finally gotten to that point about 12 or one o'clock and I thought, okay, I gotta get out of here for just a minute. And so I was driving up the road and I was like, God, there's so much in chapter one. Where in the world do we even focus? How in the world do we tie up chapter one in a message? And, and I want you to hear me that our goal moving forward is not to preach a chapter a week, but I want God to reveal to me what I've learned and all I'm doing is sharing with you what God's taught me all week. And so what was interesting is I was riding down the road and I was going, okay, God, what, what are you showing me in this first part of chapter one? And he very quickly took me and was, I was thinking back through this letter and I was thinking back through the first half of this letter. And he made three clear, 
three points very clear to me as to what Peter was writing to these suffering Christians about. And we're gonna look at those three things this morning and they take place between verse three and verse 16. It's only about half the chapter, but these three things, I think if we can wrap our minds around it today, you will leave here encouraged. You will leave here with direction and you will leave here with a purpose today. But the three things that God laid on my heart was very simple. The three things that are addressed in these few verses are God's promise, the reality of life, and then the challenge moving forward. So the three things are the promise, the reality, and the challenge. And so I want us to spend our first few minutes just looking at what promises that Peter's talking about. He's going to address the promises of God and this is how he's going to encourage suffering Christians, struggling Christians, Christians that are walking through a difficult life. He's gonna talk about the promises of God with an order to, to lift them up and to encourage them. So I want you to start reading with me in verse three. It said, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to stop right there for just a minute. And you're saying, man, it's gonna take forever. He's not even halfway through verse three and he's already stopped. But when you read that in the literal translation, what Peter is telling them to do, it says, blessed be the God and the father. If you translate blessed be, it's meaning to praise God, to worship God, to lift our hands in praise, to worship him for who he is. Now remember the context of who he's writing this to are people who are in the middle of a difficult season. So if I'm sitting there and I'm reading that letter, I'm being persecuted for my faith, I'm walking through the most darkest season of my life and all of a sudden this guy writes a letter and the first thing he wants to tell me is blessed be the God the Father. I don't feel like lifting my hands in praise right now. I'm hurting, I'm suffering, I'm struggling. And now here's this guy, Mr. Peter, who thinks he's got it all together and he's gonna tell me just to lift my hands and just praise God. I wonder how many eye rolls were in that room at that moment. How many people, when they read this letter, were they going, oh God, one of those super spiritual guys that just tells me to suck it up and just lift my hands and praise him. How, can we relate to that? There's often times that we're walking through life. You may be there right now and you say, Brian, I'm having such a difficult season. There's nothing in me that wants me to lift my hands in praise. I am so frustrated. I am struggling. My family's falling apart. My job is falling apart. And Brian, there's nothing in me that wants to lift my hands in praise because of my current circumstances. But what I love about how Peter writes this letter is he starts it out with that. But then he follows it up by telling them why they worship, why they praise, why blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're gonna find is the reason that they're to praise, the reason that they're to worship him has nothing to do with their current circumstances. So keep reading with me in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Church, everything that we just read is the very reason we worship. When we read that passage of scripture, that passage of scripture should, should be so alive to us that when we start reading that, I don't know how we can stay in our seats. I don't know how we can keep our hands in our pockets. I don't know how when we sing about a living hope that we're not all just running around the room because every promise that God just made is our hope, is our eternity. And this is what should excite us as believers. So this is the very reason Peter's telling them to lift your hands in praise. He's talking about their new life in Christ. He's talking about their new found faith that they now have in the Savior, Jesus Christ. But he's also talking about, and he's reminding them, when he's talking about that they've got a reserved spot in heaven, that they've got a reserved place in heaven, you remember in verse one, he called them aliens. And he was talking about that they had been ran out of their hometown. But when he's calling them aliens, when he's calling them foreigners, what he's also meaning is there's much more weight to that than just their worldly circumstances and their worldly location. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, if you've prayed to receive Christ, if you've surrendered your heart and your life to him, hear me when I tell you this, this world is not your home. You were not created for this. You were not created to be here, but you were created for an eternal relationship with a God who created you. This is not your home. So when he calls them aliens, that's all of us. If you are a follower of Christ today, this is not your home. And there's hope in that. There's power in that. But then he says, but you have been born again to a living hope. Because of your newfound faith in Christ, you've been given a living hope. I got a phone call on Monday um, no, I get, Wednesday, sorry. Got a phone call on Wednesday and um, it was a, a family that's been visiting with us probably for about six weeks now. And um, how many of you are getting phone calls from Northeast Atlanta? Y'all been getting all those? It's like some salesman. And I, so I see Northeast Atlanta and I just, <laughs> I just declined it. I'm not answering that phone. And it just kept ringing, kept ringing, kept ringing. And finally it was the Northeast Atlanta texted me and it was a man from, that's been visiting our church. And he says, hey, Please call me, I've got to tell you something. And so I picked up the phone and I called, his name is Shannon Bradley. And, and he said, I've just got to tell you what, what God's been doing in my life and what God has done. He said, um, this week, he said, for the first time we went to group last Sunday and he said, the spirit of God was leading me to share my story in our small group. And he said, Brian, I was saved when I was 15 years old. He said, but I've never stepped out on faith to do anything that God's led me to do. He said, I've never really grown in my faith. I've never really done this or I've never really done that. But he said, that Sunday morning, I was sitting in our group and the spirit of God just kept revealing to me, you need to share your story. So he said, three different times, he said, I basically told God, no, they don't wanna hear my story. I don't, I've never talked in front of anybody. I can't do this. And then as the, the small group facilitator went to, to dismiss in prayer, they started to pray and Shannon said, hold up, I gotta share my story. And so he shares his story and um, 
he, he shared some details. And then after class was over, many of the people were hugging him and thanking him. But he told me, he said, but Brian, you know, he said, I was saved some 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Four, no, longer than that, 40 years, 30 years, 30 years ago. And he said, but I've never done that. I've never felt the spirit of God lead me to do something and me surrender to that. And he said, but now, and so I was like, man, awesome, that's awesome, Shannon. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, he goes, well, no, that's not the good part. Okay. He said, my wife called me just a little while ago from the gym and she was working out and there's a lady there that she's been sharing with, talking with, trying to develop a relationship with. And Melanie, his wife calls him and she says, Shannon, you're not gonna believe this. She said, but this morning I was able to share your story with the lady at the gym and this morning at the gym, that lady prayed to receive Christ. Yeah, somebody needs to be clapping. Because what happened is what happened was this man, and he, he, he was almost in tears on the phone. He said, Brian, that's the first time I've taken a little baby step of faith. And look what God did with my little bit of faith. But the victory is, is the living hope. What we got to understand is that Wednesday morning when that lady walked into the gym, she had nothing but dead hope. She had nothing but a hope that was gonna disappoint, that was gonna fade away, that was gonna run out. But in that moment of surrender, you saw what happened. She went from having dead hope to having a living hope in Jesus Christ. Everything changed. Everything changed. She went from dead hope to living hope so church, there's no doubt that in a room of, of, of all of us as believers that, that we have all been there. We all at one time in our life, we had all of our, all of our value, all of our hope was in something dead. It was in something that was not gonna last. It was in something that was gonna fade away. It was in something that was gonna disappear. So it does not matter what the fame or the fortune or the prestige, everything that we've thought important up to this point is gonna go away. It's going to go away. You know, I know as a young man in high school, my, my biggest ambition in life was to make a name for myself in sports. That's all I cared about was that somebody would know me for either playing basketball or, or football or being fast or playing soccer or whatever it was, but that was where I exhausted every bit of my energy. You know, and what was interesting is after I graduated high school and I would go back to North Hall, I would walk into the gym or the football stadium and I could see people, There's, that's, that's that Brian guy, that's that Brian guy. But now guess what? I've been to three games this year. North Hall was there, guess what? Nobody got a clue who I am. It's all faded away. It's all disappeared. But what is so exhausting is how much energy I poured into the very thing that didn't last. There's a lot of you here this morning that you think if I can get that job promotion, if I can just get this relationship to work, if I can accomplish this or I can accomplish that, I will be satisfied. Can I tell you, you are chasing a dead hope you are chasing something that's gonna disappear, that's gonna fade away, and that's not gonna last. It's not going to last. But this living hope that Peter's warning these suffering Christians to know about, he describes it as 
imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. And he's directly talking about the inheritance that we as believers get because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, what's so heartbreaking is when we hear the word inheritance, we automatically, because we're so worldly, we go to what a family member's leaving us. We go to what a family member is gonna leave behind for us while we're here on this earth. And what's heartbreaking is through an inheritance, we've seen families break apart. We've seen families turn on one another because they want this or they want that. But I read an article that was written in 2015 that it said that over 40% of people who inherit from a family member within the first five years have lost it all because our worldly hands get involved in an inheritance and we mess it up. We're fleshly, human, sinful, jealous people. But the, the inheritance that Peter's talking about is an inheritance that worldly hands can't mess up. It's an inheritance that our circumstances, it's an inheritance that, that you can't mess up, that I can't mess up if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. But that inheritance, it, it, it comes at our salvation. But man, did you read that when it said that reserved in heaven for you? That inheritance when we step from dead hope to living hope, yes, we've stepped from darkness to light. We've stepped from death to life. We've stepped from dead hope to living hope. We've stepped from hell to heaven. But what is even more encouraging is now we have a reserved spot in heaven and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to mess that up. And it is an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and will not fade away. And look what he says in verse five. We've got salvation. We've got an inheritance that will not disappear. But in verse five, it says, not only that, but we are protected by the power of God. Y'all didn't get that. We are protected by the power of an almighty God. It means that we as believers at the moment of salvation, we are sealed till the day of redemption. And there's nothing that the enemy can do to pluck us from the father's hand who loves us and gave his son to die for us. We can't mess it up. We are protected by the power of an almighty God who controls it all. Golly, there's peace in that. There's celebration in that. You're protected by the power of God. So what Peter is saying is, yes, you've been saved. You're being saved and you will be saved. It's all there. It's all there. And it's not going anywhere because of your faith in my son. And so this is the reason, if we go back to verse three, that Peter says, praise the God. Praise the Father. It's not because of the circumstances you're walking through, but what we praise him for is our inheritance that awaits us. That this season that we're walking through will not last. It will go away. It will fade. 
But as believers in Christ, we have inherited something that's not going anywhere. That's not going anywhere. And so as we've looked at the promise this morning, he kind of changes gears in verse six. In verses six through nine, he addresses kind of the reality. And in the, in the reality that verses six through nine is something that is not a very popular message that we like to talk about. And it's the trials and the, the struggles and the tribulations of life. This isn't a popular message because we don't like to think that, that, that God would allow bad things to happen or that we would have to walk through difficult seasons because it would be a lot easier if I could just give my life to Christ and everything got better. But that's not at all what the scripture's saying. So read with me in verses six through nine. It said, in this you greatly rejoice. He's talking again about salvation that he's just finished talking about. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your soul. You know, we don't like to talk about the fact that, that God will allow us to walk through difficult seasons. And, and sometimes God will even send us through those seasons. God will send us into the fire. But what I want you to hear today is the very reason that God will allow us into the fire or the very reason that God will send us in the fire is because God wants to see us through the fire. He's wanting to prove himself faithful. He's wanting to show you that you can make it, not because you've got it figured out, but because you're trusting him in the midst of that fire. We love to sing the song that there's another one in the fire, but it's easy to sing that song when we're not in it. It's easy to sing that when we're not in the middle of the fire. But the question is, is can we sing it when we're right in the middle of it? And understand that all the Father is trying to do is to get us to learn and trust him more. To get to learn and trust him more. Because remember, he is now a living hope. We now have a living faith in something that will last. And you know, you do understand if something's living, it's gonna grow. Something that's dead doesn't grow, it decays and fades away. So when we step from darkness to life, when we step from dead hope to living hope, that hope is gonna be alive and that hope and that faith is going to continue to grow until it is revealed to us when we enter into heaven with our savior. So we should want that faith to grow. We should want that hope to grow. And the only time that it can grow is when we're in the midst of a fire. God's just wanting us to trust him more. So this morning for the believers here, I want you to hear me when I say that difficult times are coming. I know it's gonna hurt. I know it's gonna be hard, but this is not your home. 
This is not what you were created for. Jesus talks about difficult times. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. James writes about it. So they're gonna happen. Difficult seasons are going to come. And he even says that the purpose of them coming is so that it will be refined like gold. I know I've shared this before, but man, if you begin to study and and look at how the refining process happened and the reason that they often use that in the scripture of the refining of gold, there are so many messages that you could pull from that. But why a goldsmith would, would put fire or put fire around gold and why he would heat up gold is so not to destroy it, not to ruin it, but what he would do is he would melt it down because what happens is because gold is so heavy, every impurity that is inside that gold will float to the top. And then what the goldsmith does is when that impurity exposes itself, he's looking at it and he's got tweezers and he's pulling out every impurity that's keeping that gold from being in its purest form. So you realize the fire that you're walking through right now, all God is trying to do is reveal to you where your faith lacks the most. And it even says, here's the cool thing. What a goldsmith would do is when he knows the project's finished, when he knows the gold has reached his purest form is when he can look at the melted gold and see a reflection of himself. That's good. And I didn't even come up with that. (laughs) But are we willing to be put in the fire so that our impurities will be exposed. So when the father looks at us, he sees his reflection. Because there's days I don't want anything to do with it. No, God, I don't want no fire today. Just I'm good where I'm at. But what we gotta see is that a loving father has got us in the fire because he wants us to be molded into the image of his son. That's the mission wanting to be accomplished. And so the fire is revealing to us our weakest spot of faith. The very thing that keeps you awake at night, the very thing that causes you to run back to everything, which I'm getting ahead of myself is, that's your weakest spots. Look, last night, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep because of today. You know why? I didn't think anybody would be here. I just said, God, this is gonna be miserable. Because you see my weakest spot is my lack of faith because I don't trust God enough. But here's what I do know about God. God knew exactly who was gonna be here. God who need, knows who needed to be here. And look, if it was five people, that's exactly who God wanted here today. But whether it was pride, whether it was what prestige, whatever it was, I wanted a lot of people here. But you see, my lack of faith kept me awake last night because I worried about something I couldn't control anyway. But the problem is, is what do we do when we're in the fire? And that brings us to the last thing this morning is what Peter challenges us with. Now this challenge is hard. This challenge is no fun. And he starts it off in verse 13. And what he's addressing is, look, how are you going to respond when trials come, when you're being persecuted, when life's falling apart, how will you respond? Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. 
Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action. That action that it's talking about is your response to the fire. And he's saying that what you're gonna have to do is you gotta prepare your minds for that action. You've gotta be ready when difficult seasons come. And the reason he's telling them to prepare their minds is because he knows how he was wired and he knows how we're wired. And a lot of times what happens when the struggles of life come, we wanna run back and do to something that used to make us feel comfortable, that used to make us feel good, that temporarily would fix everything. And why he's telling them there, he said, look, prepare your minds for action. I know what you're gonna wanna do, but what I want you to do is I want you to go back to verses three through five. When the difficult time comes, I want you to prepare your minds to think about heaven, to think about glory, to think about that this trial is not gonna last. Think about that this life is not my home. This world is not my home. I want you to go back to this new living hope because I know what your flesh is gonna to wanna to do. Your flesh is gonna to wanna to run back to that dead hope. And he says it in verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see the battle that's going on. You see what's taking place, what's going on, probably has gone on in Peter's heart, what goes on in your heart, what goes on in my heart, that when I face trials, when I face persecution, when I face things that I'm not happy with, my first knee-jerk reaction is to run back to something that I can control, something that I can make myself temporarily feel better. But what he said here is that that's what you used to do when you were ignorant. That's what you used to do when you had dead hope. But now that you've experienced this living hope in me, you know that I'm the only one that can satisfy. Because when you run back to that dead hope, you've already experienced that it's not gonna last. It's gonna go away. Last night when I laid in the bed, worried about today, I ran back to fear. I ran back to worry. And here I've been studying it all week. I've been studying all week. Don't go back to your former lust. But guess what? I did it. I ran back to something that I think I control. And I don't know why, because I have no control of you getting here this morning. It's all in God's hands anyway. But the question is, is what do you run back to? What is that former lust? What is that very thing that makes you feel good for a season that you run back to? Do you run back to fear? Do you run back to anxiety? Do you run back to depression? Do you run back to drugs? Do you run back to alcohol? Because here's what I want you to hear today. It won't last. Jesus Christ is the only thing that lasts. And he's not called us to run back to the old ways, but church, here's what we don't like to talk about. He's called us to be holy. He called us to be like Him. 
And here's a newsflash. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. We love to entertain our flesh entirely too much. You can't do it. The church, that's my question for all of us this morning, myself included. How do we respond in the fire? We've got an old sin nature. We've got an old lustful, youthful lust nature that we wanna run back to, but now we've got a new nature, a new faith, a new hope that has been found in Christ. And what's interesting is, you know, we mentioned a moment ago how Simon, before he met Jesus, was called Simon. And then after his encounter with Jesus, they called him Peter. But what's interesting is there's 19 times in the New Testament where you see him referenced as Simon Peter together. And theologians believe that all they were simply wanting to do was to remind Peter, hey, Peter, be careful. Be careful because when fire comes, when trial comes, you're gonna wanna run back to that Simon nature. But you're not Simon anymore. You are now Peter the rock on whom the Savior will build his church. So church, the question is, is when the fires of life come, do we wanna run to this Simon nature? Do we wanna run back to who we used to be? Do we wanna run back to the very things that we know are gonna fade away? Or are we gonna run to this new nature, the new nature of Peter, to where we're called to be holy? And we're called to be holy because he is holy. You know, I don't know what you're battling this morning. I don't know what you're walking through this morning. But everything in your flesh, even for you as a believer, you wanna go back to Simon. You wanna go back to that old nature. I will beg you this morning, run to the feet of Jesus. Run to the feet of the cross and say, God, everything in me wants to go back. But God, I know that this life, I know this world is not my home. So God, I'm gonna run to you. This is hard. I can't see you. I can't feel you. But God, somehow, some way, I'm gonna trust you because I have a new living hope. A hope that is not dead. A hope that is gonna continue to grow. But you know, if I would ask you this morning, if you're here, Maybe you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're still chasing after this dead hope, this hope that is gonna disappear, this hope that's gonna go away. And this morning you're uncomfortable, your heart's pounding out of your chest and you're going, Brian, I want living hope. I'm tired of this dead stuff. I would ask you this morning to truly examine And maybe today's the day you need to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, to surrender your heart and your life to Christ. Don't leave here this morning without doing it. You can do it here, you can do it in your car, you can do it in a gym on a Wednesday morning. But this morning, God has a living hope for you. You just gotta take hold of it. You just gotta take hold of this living hope that he's given us through his son, Jesus. But maybe you're a believer this morning and you've ran back to Simon. You've ran back to Simon. 
and you just say, Brian, I need somebody to pray with me because I'm entertaining my flesh and I'm headed right down a dead end. And Brian, I need somebody to pray with me. I would invite you to come. I would invite you to come this morning and let a brother or sister in Christ pray with you. Hold your arms up when you get tired. But this morning, let's just be obedient. Let's be obedient with what God is calling you to do today. And if it's salvation, by all means, come let me know. Not so that I can get patted on the back, but so that we can celebrate this new found faith in Christ. God, I thank you for today. And so God, I'm praying that somebody here today is chasing after dead hope. And right now you've opened their eyes to a living hope. And so God, we're asking in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, that your spirit would move across this room and people would surrender to that spirit. So God, I thank you that we're no longer bound to the ways of Simon, but because of you, we have a new faith in Christ like Peter. So God, I thank you for today. I pray that we would be obedient this morning, right now in Jesus' name.